this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host d sampath over the past few weeks europe has been reeling under a heat wave with temperatures soaring past the 40 degree mark in many parts of western and southern europe One major side effect of the extreme heat has been the sharp spike in incidents of wildfires. Countries such as France, Spain, Portugal and Greece have reported hundreds of fires and thousands of hectares of lush forest lands have been destroyed and a great many have had to be evacuated that were at very short notice. So what exactly is the relationship between the heat waves and forest fires? Does a spike in temperature necessarily trigger forest fires and wildfires? and could these fires have been prevented and how is europe's drought situation related to the ongoing heat wave we explore all these questions and more in this episode of the infocus podcast and our guest today is dr kirsten thonicke from the potsdam institute for climate impact research germany kirsten thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me uh question to start with uh, the general question uh, on this uh, on this entire debate about europe uh, becoming a global hotspot so to speak uh, no pun intended for heat waves and people are speaking of europe as having become some kind of a heat dome quote unquote so what does this actually mean and how does something like this uh, happen because uh, some people are saying that europe is heating up or rather the warming up much faster than the global temperatures are warming up because of climate change is that the case yes this is fully the case europe sits between the saharan desert and the arctic north so the arctic is warming much faster and much more than the rest of the world and so this weakens our west wind circulation so we need this jet stream to bring us a break um from warm episodes and bring us precipitation in so right here in central europe in germany we have temperate climate so we have we are used to have a couple of days with warm dry weather maybe and then a next weather system comes in that brings a relief with rain what we are seeing right now is that we have very stable weather systems where sunny hot weather stays for days if not weeks and this is threatening the vegetation and in the mediterranean it is accelerating the regular seasonal drought conditions that they have over their summer right so uh, given this continuous uh, extension of dry hot days uh, we have seen it causing or sort of connected to a lot of wildfires across southern and western europe can you talk a little bit about how much has the damage been and what is the extent of devastation uh, caused by wildfires in europe uh, this summer this summer has seen very special conditions so in many parts um, of europe we have seen an extended drought so rainfall were below average uh in in many parts of europe especially in in central europe but also in western and in the mediterranean region so in in the mediterranean in spain and in france for example um these strong heat waves these very high temperatures are going above 40 degrees which is very unusual for us 
um, brought these very strong thermodynamic uh, system that brings strong winds, high winds, very hot winds, rapidly changing winds. And so you have a weakened vegetation, uh, weakened by drought, and then on top comes a heat wave, and you only need a small spark, a small accident, maybe a, a hot car parked along the side of a road on dried grass, and that can cause or a cigarette thrown away, um, and this can cause fires. And because of the winds, and because it's so hot, this fire ex uh, increases rapidly within a few hours. So it, it, it's really an exceptional situation. Unfortunately, what we know so far from the fires in, um, in France, along the Atlantic coast, is that they were set by arson or deliberately. So people somehow had the idea to set fires. Um, and so thousands of hectares of forest, of uh, pine forests, in the case of France, have been burned completely. In the case of Spain, what is unusual there is that the fire season started earlier and the amount of fire that was burned in single fires was much bigger than usual. So we have fires, two extreme fires that burned for weeks and they burned 20,000 hectare in one single fire. So this is really big. Wow, 20,000 hectares uh, in one fire is, is really uh, a huge kind of devastation one can imagine, barely imagine. But you mentioned arson, like, is that like, why would, uh, what, what possible motive or uh, any other kind of motive could there be for somebody indulging in arson to this extent where you have extensive damage across so many thousands of hectares? Is, is that a criminal investigation that's been initiated? Because one would generally associate wildfires with a natural uh, phenomena, as you pointed out, you know, a dry twig plus a wind catching the spark and spreading it and so on. Most of the fires in Europe are set caused by humans, either due to negligence because somebody wasn't paying attention or didn't know about the risk, um, and people setting fires on purpose. And for those where they have the suspicion, uh, like in France, they set uh, those fires intentionally, there will be a criminal investigation. And also in the case uh, of the fires in Spain, um, after the fires um, have been extinguished, um, there will be a criminal investigation as to find out about the cause of the fires and, and what the motivation is. We as scientists, we try to understand for many years now why do people do this? And we haven't really come to a good conclusion to explain this phenomenon on arson. Also in Germany, we have had some big fires. Currently, uh, just today, there's another big fire that has uh, been burning overnight and is difficult to contain because of the rapidly changing winds. And also here, people have the suspicion that uh, there, were some, there was someone setting these fires on purpose. Um, for us, people, you know, being scientists, working with the environment, people managing the environment, this is hard to understand. Why would people set a forest on fire and cause damage of wood, um, of habitat for plants and animals? 
Yeah, so this is hard to understand, but we know what is happening. And the criminal investigators very often can make sure it was arson. Often they don't find the suspect, um, but this is what is what is happening. What makes it special is this year is that these these uh, strong winds and these very hot temperatures that make those single fires very rapidly a very extreme fire so that the firefighters very rapidly yeah reaching their capacity of of firefighting right you uh, you spoke uh, extensively about the human uh, element in the causation of these wildfires while that is really bad on the flip side is it isn't it a good thing in the sense it means that most of these fires could be prevented is that right i mean if if it wasn't for the human element most of these forest fires which we have seen this summer could have been prevented would you say um yes so um there's a rough assumption that people in agriculture pastoralists especially in the mediterranean um use still fire also as a as a management tool in central europe um this is uh, not so common anymore it was the case centuries ago um but is not common anymore so we distinguish these where we say um this is management fires from these arson fires and currently we are running a research project which is called fire eu risk where the european commission who's funding this uh, research project wants to find out options and yeah practices that can help to prevent uh, these fires because especially um under these heat waves it is very important that the population is very careful in trying to avoid as much of these fires as possible because they bring the most damage the most ecological damage um to the forests and also to the shrublands right how would you compare the the fires in europe with those we have seen in recent times say in australia and in canada I'm like are they similar I mean, as, as a scientist you must have had uh, an occasion to study and compare and so on so were they similar in causation form impact and so on or are they different kinds of wildfires in other continent um this is hard to compare because we talk about different ecological conditions so we cannot really compare it to australia even though maybe uh, some of the vegetation could be compared uh, to our climate conditions to what we know from the more dry warm parts of europe but uh, in in uh, australia um there are natural species of eucalypt forest and so on so it's very different and also the causation and difference in in climate condition of these big fires in new south wales um in the in the last years they caused extreme fires there were the dimensions bigger and more intense um than what we have seen here in in Europe so in australia the area we talk about thousands of square kilometers we talk about for, uh, 20% of the temperate australian forest being burned um single fires were dimensions bigger um and also now studies are coming out that um the biodiversity is still badly damaged um so it's difficult to compare but for each region be it australia canada california uh mediterranean europe or central europe 
what we see is relative to the fire regimes that they had. These fire incidents, these extremes have become more extreme uh, in terms of the area that they have burned. They were high intensity fires, more intense than they used to be. And the environmental damage to uh, biodiversity, to the health of the people uh, was also much bigger than it used to be. So each region is developing and changing individually with its fire regime. But for each region, we see more extremes coming out. And this is the new quality um, that we are seeing right now across the world. Right. Greater extremities uh, compared to before. Now, you spoke a little bit about uh, the damage to biodiversity and to the health of populations. Now, coming specifically to the losses in terms of you know biodiversity and populations of flora and fauna in those forests, how long does it take for a forest which has suffered these wildfires to recover itself in terms of its populations, wildlife populations and biodiversity, and some of which also would include, I'm imagining, endangered species as well? How long does it take to get back to the pre-forest fire kind of a scenario, or does it never happen? Um, again, it depends uh, where you are. So rapidly re-sprouting eucalypt um, forests that are used for uh, paper production, for example, in, in uh, Portugal, they grow back very rapidly. And from just visual inspection, after five, seven years, it's hard to see a difference. Ecologists then also speak about other areas that it takes biodiversity takes much longer to recover. Um, it depends in Europe also if we talk about uh, pine forests. So here, this is uh, also managed forest used for the wood industry. Very often here, the areas um, that are were affected by fires are replanted. Um, and so it takes 40 to 70 years uh, for them to re regrow its original biomass. And because in Central Europe, the forest areas were usually low enough, so then um, all the other plants and animals can, uh, the populations can recover relatively quickly. For these huge, intense fires, if we speak about California and the areas affected in uh, New South Wales, in, in Australia, what we fear here that it will take much, much longer uh, than it used to be for this area to recover. Also because these areas were known to host a number of endemic species, so unique to the area affected. And if, uh, if we remember in Australia, one single fire, the, the biggest one, had about 300 kilometer along one axis of the extent um, of fire being burned. So to recover this, I could assume it would take decades, if not centuries, to recover um, the biodiversity through the pre-impact states. And we can assume that along this recovery pathway, there will be new fires occurring because the world is warming and the drought conditions will be coming back. Right. So uh, given that 
the world is uh, warming and, and drought conditions are increasing in scope and spread, uh, especially in Europe and also in other parts. Does this mean also that the nature of Europe's forests and vegeta- vegetation is going to change? Because so far it's been a temperate uh, climate. Now, if that is going to change because uh, Europe is warming a much faster rate than the rest of the planet, does it also mean that the kind of uh, forest that Europe is going to have is going to change? Because I read a re- uh, report uh, recently about how a Europe uh, Europe's winemakers, for instance, are struggling with the, the, the increase in temperatures because wine, why vineyards need a particular kind of a temperature and a climate to flourish. And I found it rather interesting to read about that. So, do you? What are your comments on how Europe's forests and vegetation might change because of rising temperature, and what kind of administrative changes it might uh, necessitate in forest management? Yeah, so there's a huge debate going on. Um, In Germany, for example, we have the third year in a row drought conditions over the summer. So our what the summers we are experiencing now, experiencing now for the third time, is that we don't have enough rain for weeks. So this is really uh, threatening the vegetation, and so we have. Um, an annual inventory of the forest conditions. And the recent inventory has shown that two-thirds of the trees in Germany on all forest areas um, show damages to their crown. That means they are damaged by the drought. They are suffering from not accessing enough water in the soil. And also monitoring and and, uh, very detailed modeling have shown that the soil has dried out very to very great depths where most of the roots are, be it narrow-rooted trees or deep-rooted trees, uh, they all uh, are suffering. So there, that sparked a huge debate about, okay, how do we replant um, those affected areas and how can we safeguard our forests? And it's, um, it's a complicated issue because, of course, we want to have our forests because we need the wood, for all the different purposes, for building houses and um, building roofs and and, uh, a lot of uh, these things. But we also need intact forests to have a chance for the water balance, for water retention, for water storage in the soil, um, and also for being a habitat also to our biodiversity. So this is just putting a, a conflict and the debate goes, we cannot, rep- um, there's a rising awareness um, in Germany, um, but also in countries like France and Spain that we cannot regrow the trees, uh, the pines as we used to. We cannot continue with having forest monocultures. We need new approaches. And the question is, which species actually or group of species can we actually plant that are flexible enough in their growing conditions to allow to tolerate uh, drought conditions and extreme heat and also survive the cold winter and uh, yeah also missing light during the winter uh, because we have short uh, day length uh, during our winter months so these are quite some challenges and forest experts and scientists are in a dialogue to discuss this and we haven't really found a good solution right now 
um, that yeah allows to balance all the different uh, demands. So it's a huge debate, and the solution will be difficult and not not easy to find. Uh, so we are searching for these new species. But at the same time, we do not want to create new problems that create uh, threats to biodiversity or even intensify the water use problem. So it's not an easy solution, but it's an interesting discussion. Right. You spoke about the efforts to find new flexible species that can survive extreme cold as well as extreme heat. Are there any efforts to come up with genetically modified varieties of these species as well? Or that's not on? I cannot say for sure. I'm sure there will be um, lab experiments where um, scientists are testing this. But uh, what foresters do so far is uh, they try to find, from the same species, they try to find subspecies or varieties um, that are more adapted to um, these seasonal dry and warm conditions. For example, from southeastern Europe, you can find um, sub-varieties of uh, beech trees um, that maybe um, can be used and planted here. So tests are running um, on some institutes where they have field plots and testing the growth performance of these varieties um, and how they can, can cope. And the current heat wave and the current dry summers are a test bed for this. Right. You spoke uh, about how the rainfall has uh, has really reduced and how two-thirds of uh, the trees which were sort of being tracked and monitored, they were not getting enough water. And one never imagines Europe uh, as a place where there might be a water crisis. But given three years of drought, especially in places like Italy, for instance, uh, and also Germany you spoke about, is Europe uh, heading for a period of water scarcity or water crisis? This is what we fear um, is, is happening um, because we have, say, for example, in, in Potsdam, our area, we receive 500 millimeters of precipitation on average. Um, this annual amount is getting lower uh, with the warming. So, yes, we are running into a water crisis situation because at the same time, the um, Alps, the glaciers are melting and these glaciers are feeding continuous water into the rivers. So that's why these big, some of these big rivers or lakes are running low. If, this, if the glaciers are melting and this constant supply of fresh water over the summer is diminishing. At the same time, we have strong economies. Uh, we, have, we are densely populated, so it's getting warmer. People need more water. The industry need, needs more water. And so we need to completely, and the agriculture needs more water. So uh, we need uh, water management plants to accommodate to these new conditions. And there's uh, also the need for raising awareness that this needs to be done much quicker than we anticipated before. Right. Question, we are running out of time. So one final question before we uh, wrap up this episode. I'm just curious, how are people in Germany reacting uh, to the challenges uh, posed by these extreme heat waves? We spoke about wildfires, we spoke about drought. Uh, we couldn't really get into the challenges of urban living. But then uh, one of the reports which has uh, created a buzz in, in, in countries like India, for instance, especially in the context of the Ukraine crisis, is Germany's, uh, one of your ministers saying that uh, we're going to explore 
domestic coal as an option uh, in lieu of uh, the ban on Russian oil and gas. So, isn't this uh, a climate worsening uh, option? And how is this uh, being received in uh, Germany domestically? Well, as a client, as a scientist studying climate impacts and studying how vegetation, fire, and also biodiversity is changing or threatening um, our habitat where we live in, our natural habitat, our environment, I'm worried about uh, the renewal of fossil energy um, from coal power plants because of the international message that it sends. I understand the political pressure that something has to be organized uh, for, uh, so that the country um, is prepared for the next winter. So this is a difficult situation. What we would rather need is, and I think the government is uh, pursuing this strategy still, um, that we need to decarbonize, defossilize um, our economy and our private energy consumption Uh, because all this will come back, these heat waves, these extreme droughts, our emissions are still rising. And so we need alternative energy sources um, for heat, for energy supply. And uh, so we need to find other uh, renewable energy sources, um, expand on solar energy, wind energy, uh, but also using uh, thermal energy all good technologies to um, yeah that are developed um, and pose alternatives to fossil fuels because the impacts will get worse the heat waves will become more often and increase in intensity and the environmental damage will be much worse so it's um, it, we are in a critical decade and the current heat wave tells us a lesson and sends us a, a, a sign a warning that we act, need to act now and immediately, and we need to do everything we can to reduce our CO2 emissions and, well, in, in that sense, our carbon footprint. Right. You are absolutely right there. Uh, I would I mean, uh, most people who are following the climate uh, debate based on scientific research would agree, I guess. I think we are in a very critical decade. The heat waves are going to get more frequent and the damage from the heat and related uh, effects are going to be more challenging as we go forward. In India, especially, we are following uh, the developments in Europe with close interest because uh, Europe and Germany in particular has been at the forefront of climate research and the debate as well. And and I think Ottam Institute also has been at the cutting edge of uh, climate mitigation research and so on. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for sharing your insights and comments on this uh, ongoing debate and phenomena in Europe and elsewhere. Hope to have you back again at sometime soon. Pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you as well. And thank you for this opportunity um, to talk. Thanks and have a good time. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.